You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session. These on-air coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast, and I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. And if you're curious about doing an on-air coaching call yourself and sharing your story with my podcast audience... I currently offer those opportunities to patrons of the podcast. To find out more about becoming a patron, go to teachingyoga.net slash patron. That's P-A-T-R-O-N, patron. In fact, I'd love for you to go do that right now. Pause this, and when you come back, we'll jump into today's conversation. Give us a snapshot of your where you are right now in your life where you're headed and what you want to help with. I am currently on sabbatical uh, from my teaching position. I'm a college professor and I teach early childhood education. And I've taken this next seven months off or so to focus specifically on developing my yoga business because with an eye to retiring from teaching at the college and, and doing the yoga business more full-time, I don't want to work like full-time, but having it uh, be still the work that I do kind of in a retirement sentiment. I will still work a lot because I'm the kind of person that always works. I like to work. But I want to focus it around yoga. Specifically, what I want to do is marry my two kind of passions, which is early childhood education, child care, best practices in teaching and learning, and working with early childhood educators. That's what I do now. And then my other passion being yoga. And so marrying the two of those together. So I have been creating a course. Well, I have created a course. It's called Calm Kids Yoga. And it's teacher training specifically for early childhood educators and other early years teachers as well. So kindergarten teachers or you know, other people that are working with young children. Um, so not really the school age I mean, certainly school age um, is, is, you know, could, could benefit, of course, but my actual focus and target is really on people that are working with a very young, very young population. So I have developed this course and I just did my first in-person teacher training this past weekend. It was very exciting. It was, you know, like whew, a lot <laughs> and went really well. So that's amazing. I learned a lot of things. There's some definitely some little tweaks and changes and, um, you know, stuff, of course, that I learned from that. And I've, I'm really fortunate 
that um, I have over the next eight months, I have three more weekends booked at various studios. So that's awesome. So that part is going great. Um, uh, but uh, the next piece of this for me, and that's why I wanted to speak with you and kind of get your, your idea and some guidance and some, you know, maybe brainstorming and structure is because I want to take this course and turn it into an online version and then offer it out, you know, like to anybody and everybody within the early childhood um, early childhood educators sector, um, you know, because I really know that there is an interest and there is a need. People really, early childhood educators, it's a really tough job working with lots of young children. It's very exhausting. And so um, helping them have actual concrete tools and things that, you know, you can do this with your children um, and, you know, try this technique you know, at this time in the day to help to, you know, bring a little more calmness, a little more um, centeredness, um, you know, sort of giving the teachers the tools that who, they can then give the children the tools, you know, so self-regulation, calming, anxiety reduction, you know, all of those kinds of things that we know yoga is amazing for. So that's, so that's where I am. Have you done any online education through your college? So through the, is it a college or a university? College. College. A college. Yeah. You mean myself personally or have I taught that way? Yeah. Have you taught that way? Okay. Yes, um, I have. Um, I, 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 uh, I'm pretty receptive and open to technology. Um, I actually did a lot of uh, teach, um, a lot of, I did my postgraduate work. Um, mostly all virtually. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I am comfortable in that, in that plat, you know, that medium. I have taught um, using an early learning or, or using a, an online platform. It's not super dynamic, the one that I have used. So it's not something that I would want. I don't want the course to come out looking, you know, really static and boring. I want it to be quite dynamic. So I am familiar with it. I have done it. I have used it. But I guess what I'm looking for is newer technologies that are a little bit more, you know, they, they create that personal relationship like we have right now, obviously, like something like Zoom, where you're really looking in somebody's eyes, you can actually, you know, it's much more of a personal experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely interested in that. But I don't, I haven't done anything like that. And I haven't done a lot of like live video stuff. So that's all new to me. Yeah. The reason I ask is that from a technique standpoint, like from a pedagogy standpoint, there's a big difference in translating a curriculum from in-person learning to online learning. Yeah. And so knowing that you're already in education and you already have kind of a little bit of a sense of that I think that's an important consideration and an important skill set to be working on yes. is and and you know honestly one of the ways to work on it is to take some online trainings mm -hmm. and to see what in this is really working and what is not yeah. because one of the biggest challenges with online learning is completion mm -hmm. like just getting people to having enough momentum 
and systems to keep people continuing on the path through the end of the curriculum versus just being excited at the beginning and then dropping off. <laughs> yes. And, and I, um, I do have a lot of experience taking um, courses, actually, because my girlfriend calls me a, like a serial course taker. I am a lifelong learner. I love taking courses. So I've taken a variety myself, like yoga teacher trainings, like, you know, additional workshops and trainings and stuff. I've done a lot of that online myself. And so I do know, I've seen, you know, some have been like, huh, yeah, didn't totally, I like the training was good, but didn't totally love the delivery model, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, or there was like too much. That was another, like I've taken training, so like way too much content and it was overwhelming and that was a problem. Yeah. Um, and then I've taken uh, trainings where they sort of, you know, hit that sweet spot. Um, I also really like, and I think people like, and you you, often, you do it, I know, uh, in your trainings, is um, something that they can also take away and hold in their hand. So having, you know, a printable, you know, printable materials and, and that kind of stuff, as well as the, you know, the visual and audio aspect of it, but also having those takeaways that are, you know, so that a year later, I, I can still look at that and go, oh yeah, I remember, you know, that handout or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know if you were at the masterclass that I did about workshops, but I was, it's partially about thinking about like all the different ways that we learn and how can we make sure that we're hitting as many of them as possible, Mm -hmm. where some of them are going to be more important for certain people. Some of them will be more important for other people, Mm -hmm. but in general, just knowing the different ways people learn and making sure that we're covering everybody and not just everybody, but everybody from multiple angles. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. So when I'm looking over the list that you gave me of the things that you want to talk about, I want to make sure that we're efficient with our time and that we, you know, give you what you're looking for. You, you talked about strategic planning, Mm -hmm. priority setting, market Mm -hmm. research, Mm -hmm. tech options, and pricing. Yes. And what I'm going to say off the bat is that I think tech options and pricing are maybe a little premature. Okay. (laughs) I don't think you need to know at this stage what tech you're going to use. Okay. If you haven't done your market research, then you don't know what tech you're going to use because you don't know enough about your, the people you're selling to yet. Does that make sense? And it's really the same thing with pricing a lot of that is going to depend on what your market will bear. Okay. And and because pricing an online course, it has to do with perceived value Mm -hmm. and the perception is in the eye of the purchaser. So are you solving a pro like how much are they willing to pay to solve this problem? And now just as a reality check, early childhood educators, you know, who is making the purchasing decision here? Like is Mm -hmm. the educator, taking money out of their own pocket to buy this, that's a really important thing to know who you're talking to and how much money they make. Absolutely. And if, Mm -hmm. if they are the purchase, like if they are the decision maker, they are the one who is pulling out their wallet and paying for it. Then knowing, knowing who they are, it's a bit similar to teaching yoga teachers, you know, like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) you want to make sure that your pricing is accessible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that means you need a bigger audience, mm-hmm. right? So if you are targeting a 
population that has more disposable income has a lower barrier to throwing money at their problems, then you can offer a larger price point and you can start with a smaller audience versus mm -hmm. if you are like we're talking about, if you're talking about a population, a niche that doesn't have a lot of disposable income, mm -hmm. the problem needs to be really compelling and the price point needs to be a no brainer, right? It needs to feel not mm -hmm. risky to them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, I have, of course, thought about this because I, I, I know early childhood educators are, you know, um, systemically and chronically underpaid and undervalued, unfortunately. And um, so I know that. Um, so um, in my in-person training, I kept the price very reasonable. Uh, and I know that even for some people, that was, it was too high. But I really didn't, it wasn't, I couldn't really afford to go lower than that. I didn't think it was, because then there's that point of underpricing, undervaluing what you're offering, I guess, as well. So it's a bit of a tricky one, I feel. And certainly some of the people who are interested in this training will have um, access to professional development funds, some of them that work for larger agencies or they're in unions or they're at whatever. But then there's that sole proprietor or that person who works, you know, in a center that's really getting paid, you know, not much over minimum wage practically. And so that's a tricky thing mm -hmm. for them. I have started to do the market research a little bit because I did open a, a private Facebook group and I've started to do kind of like giving freebies away and asking people, you know, what are your bigger cha biggest challenges and that kind of stuff. So I am receiving some of that information. I haven't really, you know, like, like done anything with that yet and it's still coming in, but I'm starting to collect that information. Good. So I think one of the things that you want to figure out through this market research is, do you need to narrow your niche? Because you just talked about three different potential categories okay. of early childhood educators, people with professional development funds, sole proprietors, and people paying out of pocket. So those are three different niches and they need three different price points. Good point. Potentially. Yeah, that way. Right. Mm -hmm. It's very important in your market research, for example, to figure out will people who have to pay out of pocket, like, will they actually do that? Mm -hmm. And, and here's, how you, here's how you ask is you ask, have you paid for any training out of pocket for yourself in the last okay. year, for example? Okay. <laughs> so because you don't want to talk about in theory, you don't want like people will tell you in theory things that they're willing to do that in reality, they're not willing to do. Okay. So if you find out, have you done that? So if you find out, you ask the question, you talk to people and you find out, yeah, early childhood educators, they will spend an average of X on a professional development topic within a given time span. Like how much have you spent? So if, if people are saying, yes, I have, how much have you spent in the last year? How many resources did, did you spend that on? Like, did you spend $500 on one training or did you spend $47 on 10 trainings, right? Figure out what are people actually willing to spend money on and how much are they actually willing to spend? So that's how I would start to look at pricing is based on the actual history of the people that you're trying to reach. Because 
in the long run, yes, it's possible that you can be an outlier and you can change people's behavior, but I wouldn't bank on that. Like that's not, mm. <laughs> that's not going to be the most accurate proje projection that you want to make. So as you're looking at your initial pricing, look at the past history, look at what people, people's behavior mm -hmm. teaches you. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. I hadn't thought of it quite from that way. I had thought of it that, you know, of course they, um, they don't nest, not a, like a lot of, a lot of early childhood educators just don't have cash in hand, a lot of cash in hand. So of course that had dawned on me, but I hadn't really thought of just like asking them straight out. <laughs> yeah. That's a good yeah. idea. Mm -hmm. And so it may be that you decide based on your market research, I'm going to focus on the ones with professional development funding. Mm -hmm because it's so much easier to spend somebody else's money yes, <laughs> than it is to spend your own, you know, especially if you have like, okay, I've got to spend this money in the next year or it goes away. Yes. Or I've got to spend the money in yeah. this ne next six months or it goes away. So if you know that, then you mm. can speak directly to that. Do you have professional development funding mm. expiring within the next three months? Here is why I think you should spend it on this. These okay. are the benefits mm -hmm. that you're going to get. You know, so even if you market towards the people with the professional development funding, like a few people who are self-funded might still buy it. Yeah. But when you know who are the people that are most likely to buy it, then mm -hmm. you can talk directly to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Yeah, that's really good. That's a good point. The other thing I thought about around this, and I don't know what you think, I took a, one of those, you know, uh, trainings on a course uh, on what it was on the teachable platform or something just to you know this is how it works and whatever they talked about this idea of um, you know you have you have your your main price and then you can break it out into like three different payments or that kind of thing I guess that could possibly be an option as well right Oh yeah. Payment plans are great. And especially mm -hmm. with the type of person that, you're, but remember, okay, think about it this way. If you decide you're focusing on people with professional development funds, they don't need a payment plan. Yeah. If you yeah. decide you're focusing on people who are self-pay, they need mm -hmm. a payment plan. Yeah. So you want to find out, you know, mm -hmm. by doing your market research, what percentage of the people in my audience have a professional development fund? Yeah. If it's 70%, then why are you like, why are you worrying about the 30% mm -hmm. that don't have one and are much less likely to buy therefore, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that will give yeah. you a lot of information. Whereas yeah. if it's the opposite, if it's like 5% of people have a pr professional development fund, you're like, well, that's not a viable niche. I got to focus right. on it. I got to focus on these other people too. Right. So right, that's right, where right. the market research comes in. Okay. <laughs> it gives you, okay. it gives you Good. all, it's like the magical information, <laughs> the yeah. information yeah. theory. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. That's really good. Okay. Good, good, good. So when it comes to priority setting, market research, building your audience and networking. Just writing this down. <laughs> so I've sort of started you know, like I said, I've started this, but like just started. So there's a lot of work to do. What would you say are the best ways to do this? So like I've, you know, I, I have a, I, I mean, I have all of the various, you know, bits out there. I've got a Facebook page. I've got, you know, for my company, I have a website. Um, and now I have this um, free uh, online group that I'm, you know, 
drawing people to by a variety of different ways. And it seems to be growing relatively quickly. I'm imagining there's still some better ways that I can like attract people into it. So that's, I'm still. How many people do you, do you have in your group? So I only started it a week ago uh, or a week and a half ago. And I have almost 600 people. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Here's what, here's the deal about Facebook groups and growing them. It actually does not take a lot of work. Once you hit a certain level of momentum, Facebook Uh starts to show your group to your target audience. Uh So Facebook does the work for you for free. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. So if you've gotten 600 people in a week, that means that Facebook has noticed your group and your job is to just focus on delivering value inside the group. You do not have to worry about growing that group at this stage where the, how Facebook works currently, like I can't guarantee that this is, you know, Facebook changes all the time. But what I know about Facebook groups right now, now, if you have other avenues of visibility, you can certainly mention your group. I mean, that's an incredible amount of growth. 600 people in one week. That's amazing. Yeah, so, so what I did was I just went in and um, um, joined every early childhood group I could find and then sent private messages and asked them if, if it was okay if I posted um, some free, free, you know, tips or whatever and invited people. And I said it, I was up, up front, you know, and said, invite people to my group because mm-hmm. this is what I offer, you know? Um, and, um, I think only like two people out of, I don't know how many I said, um, said, well, no, cause that would be self-promotion, but everybody else was like, yeah, sure. Welcome. So right. it was easy that part. I mean, it wasn't easy. It took a lot of work, yeah. but, but now that you have 600 people in the group, focus on serving those 600 people inside okay. the group and right. Facebook is going to, so now I'm not hundred percent sure knowing what you did. You might, there, I'm sure there's lots of big groups on early childhood education. Yeah. Um, but if you have 600 people, that's enough to, to get Facebook's attention. Okay. If you get that group active, if the, and right now the first week of people joining is the most potent time for them to start to engage with the group because Facebook is going to show you, show them posts from a group that they just joined. Okay. Right. So you want to engage with them. And here's the thing. If you want to use that group as kind of your primary access to your audience, then you need to show up as a leader of that group from Mm -hmm. the get go. Like, yes, I've, I've had groups that I've been an admin of for many, many years, but I don't really do anything in there like occasionally I'll delete a post or and approve people or whatever, but I'm mm-hmm. not showing up. I'm not showing my face on live mm-hmm. video mm-hmm. on a regular basis as mm-hmm. the leader of the group. So, mm-hmm. um, your job right now in that group is to be the leader and to make sure every single person in the group knows Laura. Oh yeah. Laura is the group founder and here's what she helps people with. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I did go and do one Facebook live. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I find that, uh, um, you know, a little overwhelming, but anyway, I just sucked it up and did it and, uh, it was okay. It was good. 
So I guess I need to do that again. <laughs> yes, I would do it at, at the stage that you're in right now. I would do it at least once a week. Like have a scheduled day and time that you go live every yes. week at the same time. Well, and I guess that's the thing too, right? Like other groups that I, that I follow, um, they always give a post. I'm going to be live. Like they tell you beforehand. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I, ha I didn't do that. So of course nobody knew I was, <laughs> I was live, but yeah. you know, whatever. Okay. Yeah. And you know, give little mini trainings right now, mm -hmm. like give value in the group and tell them. So tell them, let's say the day before I'm going to go live and I'm going to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Right. And okay. these days when you, uh, the, uh, you can, schedule a live where Facebook will allow people to ask for a reminder. When you schedule a live, Facebook automatically gives the button where people can sign up to get a reminder. Okay. Yeah. I see. Or a okay. notification once it starts basically. Yeah. Because you're having so much success with that group, that's what I would focus on right now for building an audience. Okay. Unless you like, do you already have some other outlet for visibility? Well, I guess I can post to some of the more active, prominent early childhood groups that, uh, you know, said, yes, I could post there, you know, like do the cross post kind of thing, like not necessarily exclusively in my group. Can I the live? Say? You're talking about the live? No, I guess I was just talking about, um, like I've been making like these little, I have this, I started this thing called, um, kids yoga 101 and doing like one pagers that, that I put as a picture, but then I also put them as a PDF. So if people want to download them, they can have them. So I was just thinking like, you know, sharing those out to other groups that aren't specifically yoga. They're just early childhood education groups. So maybe they want that. Do people have to give you their email address to get that? No. Then it doesn't really build visibility because it's going to take so much of posting that if people aren't following you somewhere else. Right. It's Too exhausting. Kind of like, it's kind of like a shot in the dark. Yeah. Okay. I kind of was feeling like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now what you can do though, is you can, if people opt into your email list, you can say, I'm going to send out one of these a week to my email list. Okay. And capture people. Okay. And even people in your group you want to capture because we don't know what Facebook is going to do with those groups. So oh, okay. I've, I have kind of a symbiotic relationship between my group and my email list. When you okay. sign up for my, now it's not possible where actually I want to say that there might be some kind of technology that allows you to capture email addresses in Facebook group questions I feel like I've seen that at some point, but I haven't done that. But basically what I've done is let people know as they're asking to join the group that I have a freebie they might like and give them the web address that they can copy and paste if they want to. And then when they've joined, once I have about a hundred new people, I will do a post, a welcome post. And in that welcome post, I will have a link to my freebie and to sign up for my email address list, my email list. Well, that's a good idea. I wish I'd known that before. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's okay. You, you can post about it in your group. Maybe inside your group, you do something like, here's an example. Mm -hmm. You can have this one for free. 
But if you want more of these, sign up for my email list. And then every time that you create a new one, you post in your group, maybe you post just the new one and you say, if you sign up for my email list, there's a bunch more of these. Right. Basically. Okay. 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 Yeah. Good. Good. That makes sense. So we've kind of covered building an audience right now. You're focused on the Facebook group and then the transfer of the Facebook group over into the email list. Right. Market research is going to happen somewhat inside the Facebook group. You can ask questions mm -hmm. and then market research and networking can both happen more one-to-one -one like what we're doing right now over Zoom. I would advise getting to know some of the people in the group. Maybe it's the people who are posting most actively, who are kind of showing interest and have a one-to-one -one market research conversation with them. Okay. Like what we're doing right now, except you're asking them questions about who they are and what they're looking for, what they're, what they're struggling with. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that part is both market research and networking. Right. And then you want to be networking as well. Look at other people who have the same target audience, but don't necessarily serve them in the same way. Mm -hmm. And maybe have guest speakers come up come on into your Facebook group? Yes, I have two people actually already that are both yoga teachers and but kind of do different things and don't train early childhood educators. I've already got that. They're on my little post-it notes here on my desk mm -hmm. to think about. Um, I haven't talked to them yet, but to think about inviting them and doing. Um, and so would you recommend um, to do like a live Zoom to, that way too? So like we're both live talking to each other or something like how does that happen? Yeah, I would get a software called BeLive. Okay, BeLive. Yeah, I experimented with it in my group. I like there was a little bit of a learning curve in figuring out how to use it, so practice a few times before okay. you actually bring a guest on. Okay. Um, but but practice with a guest too. <laughs> okay. So you can just you can use BeLive to bring somebody else onto your into your Facebook Live and you can even have slides. So if the person is doing a training, they can have slides. And so like, what does it look like? Does it look like the two faces side by side? Yeah, you can, there's, I think there's lots of different configurations you can do with BeLive. And it is truly live. It's yeah. not recorded. Now, what about doing it uh, pre-recorded and then posting that? You can do that, but Facebook does not prioritize that as much in the algorithm. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. And you won't be getting real-time comments. Right. Which eventually you will get. Right. Okay. And then obviously you're going to be giving people a heads up that this is what, this is coming up and it's at this time, blah, 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 all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So they can show okay. up live and ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes me like, I have to say, um, I attend a lot of these things. I makes me nervous. <laughs> to think about doing it myself. I mean, I'm sure I'll be fine once I do it, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, I get that little sort of nervous feeling about thinking about doing that. I think you'd be weird if you didn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing, I think the only solution for that is to do it regularly. Right. After you do about 10 of them, you'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'll have to psych myself for that. <laughs> you just have to do it. Like yeah. just hit, hit go. Like don't let yourself tell yourself you need to be psyched. 
You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like right. we, I do that. I mean, I, I'm telling you this because I see myself doing it all the time. I'm planning to go live. I'm like, okay, I got to figure out what I'm going to say. I got to, I got to make sure I'm ready. I got to really think I'm like, no. And then how many times out of the think times that I thought I was going to go live, did I end up talking myself out of it because I really wanted to think through things and oh. then, and then life happened. So you right. got to just set the time, show up, go live, let it be imperfect mess up, be human, and then do it again. <laughs> okay. And you'll get better at it. Yes. It's great to bring other yoga teachers on into your group, but what's also going to be valuable is finding people who already, who have an audience of early childhood educators so that they can share whatever you're doing with their audience and improve, increase your audience. Right. Yeah. So don't focus just on yoga teachers start doing some research and look out there and see who else is serving this niche. Yes, 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 yes. And there's okay. a lot of them. Oh yeah, there is. There is a lot of them. And I would just, and even if I just think about it, oh, actually I have a girlfriend who's a librarian for a children's librarian. She would be great. Does she have an audience? No. Okay. So she would still be great. And that it's, I think it's totally fine to bring people on who don't have an audience, but I do want you to start looking for people who have an audience. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to think about that. So that's what I would say would be the three places to focus on right now and ways to do it. Does that all make sense? Is there anything that you feel unclear about or you have a follow-up question about? No, I think that's good. I think that's good. It sort of clarified a little bit for me and let me know that I, I am on the, the right trajectory here. And I've definitely got some, you know, takeaway homework items. <laughs> so that's always good. Do you have an email list? I do. It's not big. It's very Small. I only started it a little while ago. And I just also like, it was a good example of, I didn't really know how to build that. I didn't know how to build it. But I guess what you've mentioned here is, you know, be more, I guess I've been a little shy about that, you know, or a little tentative about that. So I need to just get over it and be a little more assertive in that front, you know, maybe think of it as being generous. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's true because I really do feel like I really feel that what I have to offer is very valuable. And it's, uh, it's something that people um, that work with young children, they want and they need not everybody for sure. But I think a lot of them really, really a lot do. So it's more about how I can, um, you know, reach them, and how I can tell them what I have that they would, would be beneficial for them. Yeah. Well, I think you've got a really great start to your strategy. You start doing Facebook lives, focus on building your group, focus on building your list. Okay. And that is really where that's the foundation for everything. I'm excited for you. I'm excited you. to see how this goes because yeah. that kind of growth of 600 people in, in your Facebook group in one week. I mean, I want to see where you are in a year. Yeah, I know. I'm very excited. It's very, it's been very exciting. And then when I get somebody on and they're people from all over the world, you know, which is, I love that. Right. So like I, so I, I, I'm always yelling to my husband, you know, Oh, you know, Zimbabwe, you know, or 
<laughs> Ireland or wherever. So it's very exciting. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing all your questions because I know that they're going to be helpful to other yoga teachers. So I really appreciate it. Yes. Well, thank you very much. I really, I love your podcast and I love your group that you do and your little courses. They've, I've taken a few of them. And so I really appreciate um, everything that you offer us. And I've learned a ton from you. So I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these coaching calls. I've had so many listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are. And that would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And also want to give a huge thank you to the patrons of the podcast who contribute to the expenses on a monthly basis. If you're curious about deepening your connection to this community and becoming a patron, I hope you'll go to teachingyoga.net slash patron to find out about the different levels of contribution and all of the perks and benefits of becoming a patron. Every single month, I do an online training just for patrons of the podcast, and I also provide downloadable resources designed to help you take action on what you learn when you listen to the podcast. I'm so very, very grateful to have you as a listener, and I would be incredibly delighted and honored to also have you as a patron. Keeping these podcast episodes free from outside ads is really important to me, and the patrons of the podcast are what make that possible. Once again, the link to get all the details and to sign up is teachingyoga.net slash patron. And whether or not contributing to the podcast is something you're interested or is a possibility for you in this moment, I hope that you'll remember to center your own self-care and your personal practice this week. And I'll see you next week for another episode of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast.